Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Join us as we explore Tolkien and all the ages of Middle-earth with your hosts from TheOneRing.com, Jonathan Watson and Michael Grumbine. Hey, everyone. Hello. hello. Welcome to Exploring Tolkien with me, Jonathan Watson, and him, Michael Grumbine. And together, hello. we are known as Michael Watson. <laughs> okay, this is, this is a very funny inside thing. joke, yes. A lot of you know we used to be called Window on the West. That was our original title of this podcast. Dan, who did the podcast with us up through December of last year, he is a producer at the Babylon Bee and has some input into the articles that appear on the site and maybe even write some of them because this article right here, which is sad, man faltering on his read through the Silmarillion in a year plan falls through. <laughs> uh the so many inside jokes in this in this so yes this is for our listeners this this segment in these next few minutes you all will uh, will have a good laugh in a way that not a single other human being in the world (laughs) can have a laugh because there are so many inside jokes from our last two a year and a half of podcasting in this article the first of which he decides to call the the uh the person who fails on his read through of the silmarillion michael watson in honor of, of us and also, Michael Watson lives in Charleston, South Carolina. Really? That's oh, it's right there at the front. Yeah, the very first tagline. It's Charleston. Oh, my gosh. Well, clearly, he means you and me. So how many times did you fall <laughs> on your read-through of the Silmarillion, Michael? <laughs> I always falter. I, falter. I, did, I faltered on my first read-through of the Silmarillion. That is true. That is very true because I read it right after Lord of the Rings. And like most people, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. This is not the same thing. So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll throw that link. The, uh, uh, we'll throw that link in the show notes. Go ahead and click on it. It's down below in, in YouTube and, and you can read it. It's, it's a fun little read. Anyway, we're still going through Aldarion and Erendis, the Mariner's wife. And in this episode, we are going to read through everything that, 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 Everything that's going to set up the story that is unfinished, in a way, if this is an unfinished tale. Although Mike is going to tell me, if I remember right, you're going to tell me why this is mostly not unfinished. However, we'll leave that for our last episode in two episodes. But in this episode, we're talking about the, the letter that Gilgalad has sent to Meneldur, the, the king of Numenor, and uh, Aldarion's reaction to what Meneldur does because of that. And so we'll get into that first. If you want to hear the additional questions that we're going to have, uh, talking more about Aldarion's assistance to Gilgalad, and was that did he did they maybe provoke Sauron in any way? Uh, and we're going to also talk a little bit about pride and how that's kind of a through line through a lot of what Tolkien writes. Uh, we're going to get into that into our in our extended portion of the podcast, and you can get that by becoming a member by going to theonering.com/slash/member, where it's four dollars a month and the first month is free, and you can join us in our extended podcast. You can get it on all your podcast apps, and you can also watch it on YouTube. We uh, post the links in uh, on a page on the website that's hidden only to our members, where that's, I mean, you got to log in. And then it's also in our Discord chat, our very special Discord chat, which you can get for free, but only the free parts. So if you go to the link below, click on that, you become a member of our Discord chat. And then if you want all the access to all the other channels in Discord, uh, become a member at theonering.com slash member. Uh, this is only about the 57th time I've said it. So I think it's about a hundred times when people finally get it. And you finally, so guys, if you're listening, just listen about another 40 or so times and maybe you can join us in the or, podcast. or skip to our 150th episode or something. 
Yeah, we're we're coming up on our two year anniversary in May. It's coming up fast. Uh, that's that's a lot of episodes. Broken a hundred. Well, we have to do something for our hundredth episode whenever that happens. I better start figuring out which one that's going to be. Mm. It's hard to figure out because we do two episodes every week, the, the regular one and the members, and it screws up all the, the timing and everything. All right. Anyway, all right. Let's jump into Aldarian and Erendis, the Mariner's Wife, <clears throat> part five today. Yeah, part five. Man, wow. Um, and this starts off with Aldarian has left the letter he got from Gilgalad with his father. And Gilgalad uh, reads it. And we find out what Aldarian has kind of actually been doing. Why it was so important he was gone for, what was it, uh, four years? Right? He left his wife and was gone. Five, five years. Five years? Four, uh, six this time. See, I'll get there. I'll get there eventually. So he promised it was going to be four years or less in his before he left. Okay. And then he came back in after six. Um, so, yes, we, he is. And, and what's interesting to me about this is the point that we chose to stop last time and that we're starting this time is the letter from Gilgalad. And, and it is a total shift. So this is my my contention. My contention mm. is that today's episode is the shift in the story and also the end of the story as written, because we we're gonna write, we're gonna read through to just what's left are fragments, and we're gonna talk about the fragments next week. But as far as like a clean story, I believe this is the last episode about the full clean story, right, Jonathan? You by clean define clean. What do you mean by clean story? By well, the story well, between Aldarian and Erendis. Is that true? Yeah, as written um, by Tolkien. Oh, in, in, right, right. As written by Tolkien. Yes, the rest is is put together by Christopher Tolkien through notes and other markings. Right. So there are Tolkien. we get even other we get little speeches and things like that in the fragments that remain. But today's is the last of the continuous uh, the continuous mm, narrative, so to speak. The prose, um, I guess you could say. That's right, right. And and the rest of it, one has to imagine if Tolkien had ever finished it, he would have stitched it together um, using a lot of what, what we're going to talk about next week. But in this week, in this, the last piece of continuous prose, I'll go with Jonathan's term there, um, we see actually, I'm going to argue, a complete shift. So up to this point, although Aldarian has had his reasons and is, he's not presented as totally crazy, he is nevertheless presented mostly as at fault, in my view. Like his father finds fault with him as the king and, and, and calls out his irresponsibility in his choices. He's shown to be almost kind of, in a way, kind of unfaithful by turning to the sea as a woman. You know, he's struck by her beauty and romance. There's this romantic angle of the sea versus Arendis in his heart, and he mm -hmm. keeps going back to the sea and and the we're we're shown the pain it happens and we're told that basically Arendis makes her own choices and some of them are not great near in the last reading but but nevertheless most of the view has been of Aldarian essentially living this kind of um, a, a lifestyle that's not even really blessed by the Valar because you know his Oyolaire is is you know starts dying on his voyages which never happens and that's supposed to be a sign of the grace of the Valar and mm -hmm. so. But in this, starting with this letter that we get here, this is the turn. And I think this entire end reading, this entire reading, basically we, we're shown Aldarian and he he does something which is unusual in this story from either of our two main characters, which is he repents of, mm -hmm. of what he's done. And Arendis does not. 
So this 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 end of the story, or at least the continuous aspect of the story before the fragments, um, is I think an interesting turn because Arendis's heart has been hardened, and she does not sh she shifts not from here on out, and Aldarian does, and he and why does he shift, or or why does the author, why does Tolkien give us, and I, and I'm reminded. So this is going to be my theme for this this episode. There's a there's a there's a line that Gandalf speaks to Bilbo at the end of the Hobbit, and he says, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read it here. He says, "Surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies because you had a hand in bringing them about yourself. You don't really suppose, do you, that all your adventures and escapes were managed by mere luck, just for your sole benefit? You are a very fine person, Mister Baggins, and I am very fond of you." But you are only quite a little fellow in a wide world, after all. And I view what's happening in this story right now, beginning with the letter, as that kind of reminder that for all of Aldarian and Arendis's drama that we have between the two of them, it remains, at the end of the day, drama between the two of them. And what's really happening, the important things in the wide world, are... Mm -hmm about to be laid out by Gilgalad, and we get a completely different view of Aldarion from the, the, the eyes of Gilgalad. Um, Aldarion is not irresponsible in the eyes mm -hmm. of Gilgalad. He is a great boon. He has been doing great work that has come to naught. It's been destroyed by dark, by men and, um, and maybe by forces of the shadow that's rising in the east. But we are shown Aldarion as basically... A, a piece of the overarching solution and the fight against evil and the legacy of Morgoth. And that's a completely different view of Aldarion that we've received up to, up to this point. And the actions that Tarmenaldor takes show us that there is, in fact, a bigger picture here than just the love story and uh, the failed love story between Aldarion and Arendis. There you go. That's my monologue. I think I think this 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 passage that we're about to read these few pages are the turn in the story, where we're we're it, it's kind of like the zoom out function on mm -hmm. a, yeah. mm -hmm. and like and so zoomed in on this relationship between these two people and all the faults and all of a sudden yeah. we zoom out we're like whoa there's a bigger picture and yeah two things picture Aldarian has a different role to play yeah yeah two two things struck me in in reading this again for for today one it's this is kind of the redemption of aldarion because we learn more mm -hmm. about like you were saying about the greater world outside and that he's the greatest elf friend to gilgalad and he's needed to actually fight against the evil and two the unfinished tale is called um the mariner's wife right yes because i've been thinking about this but the tale should be called the mariner and so this here, if if this is if if the unfinished tale part is called the Mariner's Wife, we get now the greater story here at the end that is unfinished, uh, and that that mm. to me is my disappointment in writing this because it's really about Aldarion. There is a relationship, and it's and you can make him such an interesting haunted character with what he did to his wife moving forward after this and what happens with his daughter. And who knows, Tolkien right? Tolkien changed Galadriel through the the fifty years that he wrote her, and so in the same way, if if he would have had time to to rework this and to get into a deeper, I think there might've been a rework of 
what might have happened with some of the other characters. But this was his writing of these two and what happened, right? He wrote this in the, the, the early 60s, the early 1960s, 10 years after The Lord of the Rings was published. So there's a, the characters probably are what drove him to write it, but the greater story was out there for him to still discover about what would happen to it. And, <clears throat> and in reading this this time, that, that's what we kind of missed because we see the dynamic character that Aldarion is. When he is shown grace, when he sees his father lay down the scepter out of, you know, out of, out of seeing the need for, for his people, right? He has this sort of inner battle. There's a monologue that he that he um, that he deals with after I don't, I don't want to jump too far forward but there's a little bit of a monologue that he that, that he says to himself is like you know when either way may lead to evil of what worth is choice let the valar rule under i will resign the scepter scepter to aldarion yet that is also a choice for i know well which road he will take unless Aaron is not but he has this he, he's always fighting because he doesn't know what's best but he realizes that there's a greater world out there and aldarion has been there and when aldarion sees that that's when he that that's his turn, right? That's when he when he laughs whenever there is a uh, uh, when he when he perceives great generosity. I think is the term that was used, and w- when he is when when he is given grace, that's when he 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 turns. That's when he becomes a different dynamic character in the story, and then the story kind of just ends <laughs> eventually. <laughs> that's well, that's what really I, sucks, right? And I I think you you know the good point that you made, Jonathan, is that actually the story doesn't end it ends yes because there's nothing there's only fragments left but clearly this was something that would have turned into something greater in tolkien if tolkien had had the time um i use the analogy one of our past two episodes i can't remember which one with to me tolkien is a little bit like a farmer i'll call him johnny appleseed in this one he just he sort of throws seeds out in the field and then Mm -hmm. in their own time they spring up or die off and eventually enough of them grow to be called an orchard um, but but really, he's just got all these these um, um, trees growing at once at different rates and at different yes. types and kinds. And this this tree never came to full fruition, um, mm-hmm. much like mm-hmm. one of the trees inside this story. But anyway, um, <laughs> there's a I didn't actually think of that until I just said it. But <laughs> but so yes, that's how that's how prepared i am for these episodes (laughs) i don't think through all the comments but but nevertheless i i really love this turn that he takes because he moves it out of just the tragic love story which has become quite sour and bitter um and it has become it's a tragedy i do think it's quite interesting but let's let's let me before we talk about more about that let's read uh, a passage or two maybe from the letter from gilgalad um that that are that are really, I think, the most important. Um, he first thanks Tar Menaldur for um, the gift of his son, as he sees it, you know, and 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 acknowledges how how uh, much hope uh, Aldarion brings to his heart, and he and, acknowledges that he's the one that made him stay over long. He detained yes, him. He literally exactly. says that. Yep. And he says, and the reason why he is so, um, that Aldarion is so precious to him, sorry, that wasn't meant to be a Gollum reference. I, I just, it, <laughs> it, 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 in fact, it's the opposite. He has the source of real hope for Gilgalad. He says, Gilgalad says, a new shadow arises in the East. It is no tyranny of evil men as your son believes, but a servant of Morgoth is stirring and evil things wake again. Each year it gains in strength for most men are ripe to its purpose. Not far off is the day I judge, 
when it will become too great for the Eldar unaided to withstand. Therefore, when I behold a tall ship of the king of men, kings of men, my heart is eased. And then he he um, asks, proceeds to ask Tarmenaldur to lend him, lend him, lend Gilgalad the strength of men, um, and in the in the coming fight, in a variety of ways, he talks about specifics about the rise of these. And what's uh, you know a couple of interesting things about this passage that I just read was he, you know, he has allowed Aldarian to believe something about the shadow in the east, which is which he he now tells the truth to Aldarian's father. So mm. Gilgalad is um, finds great hope in Aldarian, but he also recognizes that he's not the king, and that, and that some things are for the king's ears only. Um, mm -hmm. And so he's he's telling. Um, Tarmenaldul essentially about the rise of Sauron, a, a great servant of Morgoth. So we we know that that has to be Sauron. Um, so that was that was one passage, um, and he then talks about a lot of the specifics that are happening and how basically um, Aldarian, you know, hasn't been able to defend Vinyalande um, that he tried to secure at the mouth of the Gwai, um, uh, Guathlo, yeah, Guathlo yeah. River. Mm -hmm. Which is uh, right there. So Jonathan's got a map screen. up, pretty cool. And so, so we've got all these. And I that what I like about this map is it shows you the land that was underneath the ocean. That's now underneath the ocean. Oh, I can um, see it all over here. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And they talk about how already we know this is right when I think this is the first indication in in any writing that. That Sauron is reestablishing himself in Mordor, because it, it's it's roundly held around the year one thousand is when he comes out, and they talk about how the it, uh, the gap in the in the you know, the the gap the gap of Rohan, except it's at that point it's called Kalinarthon, uh, which is I get that which is right there, uh, and so this is where they defended, and so you can see Vinyalande right here, you know that's that's where they are. Whereas the the you know uh, Mladris will be up here, but they're still up here in Eriador, and um, uh, and so this is the, the the defense that they're talking about, defending Mordor from, uh, defending the elves from Mordor, from, from Sauron, which, as you said, he lets him believe that he is a, what, a leader of men. Aldarion believes that this isn't Sauron yet. And so uh, he, he does say, it is no tyranny of evil men. You did read this, Michael. It is no tyranny of evil men, as your son believes, but a servant of Morgan is stirring. So even at this point, right, he... He doesn't believe that it's like Aldarion doesn't know the graveness, the, the the gravity of the situation that they're in. That this whole land is going to be taken over by the evil, uh, and that Vinyalande, which he's been trying to establish for years, is now you know that's that's the one thing they need to to push them back. And uh, as we discussed in the past, the elves aren't exactly a warring culture, in in the sense that you know they, they want to preserve, they want to retain. Uh, and um, and Menaldur has that same kind of attitude. He falls into a discussion himself, um, and it's it, it feels almost Shakespearean to me, like one of the the kings, um, you know, speaking to himself about what must be done. Right. Uh, it's a it's an out loud inner monologue. Exactly. Very Shakespearean. Yeah. Um, and you know, a couple of small details that I thought were funny, and just shows the fer the sort of the fertile nature of Tolkien's imagination where he lets slip just these little details like Gilgalad says <laughs> um, that uh, 
therefore, whenever I behold a tall ship of the kings of men, my heart is eased. Uh, little does he know, there's only one tall ship of the kings of men. <laughs> it's Hirolande. Well, and, and, and I mean, he's bought, he may, he, I'm sure he's built other ships, but. Don't you mean Turufanto? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the wooden whale. The wooden whale. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yes. And then, and then the details, other little details, like why does Gilgalad value, uh, um, you know, Aldarian's uh, presence? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them he said is because he speaks the languages of men, which Gilgalad doesn't know, basically. So he, mm -hmm. so, so Aldarian's a bit of a linguist as well as in his travels, he picks up on a bunch of languages, apparently, which we're never told. But I mean, what what else would we expect from a protagonist in the in a philologist's story of <laughs> Tolkien? So, of course, he's going to pick up various languages. But let's shift to that inner monologue. So, this letter from Gilgalad from one king to another entirely shifts the mindset of Meneldor, Tar Meneldor, and it mm -hmm. throws him into a kind of existential crisis because basically, up to this point, we've only seen Tar Meneldor as the um corrective father like like he's we were told that he liked to gaze at the stars early on and then now he, and then he was he's entirely since the entire story up to this point has been about the relationship now failed between aldarian and arendis um then then parmental is going to um has, has been playing the role of the corrective father to his son and so now there's a, a complete shift. And now basically, like the way I read it, Tar Meneldur has realized that he's not the king for this moment. Like he's, in fact, the kind exactly. of king he is, is the king of a peaceful people that have had no, and, and we know this, right? Because we know that apparently only Aldarian knows how to plant forests for lumber because you know like they're the Numenorians were known as this they're they're going to become known as the greatest seafaring race ever to exist in middle earth and yet they, they don't even know how to plant you know, or or care enough to plant a forest for the lumber for ships eldarian is the one that sparks all this he in mm -hmm. fact is like the starting point of numenor as this great island nation this great maritime power um now in his own time, it doesn't come to that fruition, but but that's he's the one that begins it. Um, and in this speech that Tar Menaldor gives, as you were saying, Jonathan, to himself, <laughs> he he lays out what like what's supposed to happen here. What what am I going to do? And he plays out what's going to happen because Gilgalad is telling him there's a war coming, and you're the king, mm -hmm. so help me out. Mm -hmm. um, one king to another, and and or your and and so Tarmenador plays out the scenario. He's like, "What am I going to do to prepare for war or let be?" He says, "To prepare for war, which is yet only guessed, train craftsmen and tillers in the midst of peace for blood spilling in battle. Put iron in the hands of greedy captains who will love only conquest and count the slain as their glory. Will they say to Eru, at least your enemies were among them, among the slain. So he's he presents one extreme. It's like, if I train my people for battle, we're going to have a bunch of bloodthirsty warriors who excuse their bloodthirstiness by telling Eru, and interesting because, you know, as we know, the Numenorians are the only people that pray directly to Eru amongst the races of men. Mm -hmm. um, but but he's, you know, so so they turn, their, their excuse to God is going to be, well, you know, I slew a lot of people, but there were your enemies among them, so that makes my bloodshed all okay. And then he gives the other extreme. He goes, or to fold hands while friends die unjustly. Let men live in blind peace until the ravisher is at the gate. What then will they do? Match naked hands against iron and die in vain? Or flee, leaving the cries of women behind them? Will they say to Eru, 
at least I spilled no blood. So he's giving like it's it's fascinating to me because he's a king of peace and he this is and he's and the two potential extremes that happen when you prepare for war or ignore war are before him and he wisely lays out like this is these these things are the two extremes and and funnily enough the last sentence of each extreme is an excuse to God about why their path their extremist path whether. Um, uh, more monger extremist or pacifist extremist um, is is going to be they're going to make excuses and he says basically I don't have it in me to do to lead my people at this time so guess what I'm going to do I'm going to make my son king ta-da <laughs> yeah well it's like after a thousand years of peace right they've had a thousand years of peace on this island king has had to worry about war they haven't had to worry about planting trees building ships everything's been honky dory they've got some nice visitors from the West every once in a while that come to their parties. Good point. And now he's the first guy who has, they, we, we, this was asked uh, in a previous uh, extended edition where um, I think it was last week where he said, uh, since there was no real constitution for the Kings, right? There was no, uh, not constitution in like internal fortitude, but constitution in the sense of like legal rules, like rules to follow in these sorts of cases. They hadn't experienced this at all. There was no blueprint for him to say like, in this situation, this is what I was taught from the Kings that came before me because it never had existed. Right, um, no precedent, right? Yeah, yeah. And and part of me also when reading this, when he says, you know, when he says, at least your enemies were amongst them as one excuse, or at least I spill no blood as the other excuse. He says, uh, Aldarian, you take the hard, <laughs> the hard decision. I'm not even going to deal with it anymore. Um, which I feel okay, a, a little bit, he's a little bit of a cop out and probably a wise decision in the sense that he doesn't know what's going on over there, but also in the fact that like his immediate reaction is like, I don't even want to make the decision. I don't, I don't even want to move that far forward into, into okay. what I don't so know. So that's the question though, isn't it? So that's one way to it read is. it. Another way to read it is, and this is, is this is not very clickbaitable, but this is <laughs> this is a, a potential a potential way to read it is yeah. uh, um, Tar Meldor is actually wise, and he realizes I, I do not have this within me. I'm not the right man for this job, and my son is. He clearly is. The Elven and High King has told me he is. You know, he's this great man, and and he's the hope of their people. And so, isn't it funny though? Go ahead. Yeah. So I'm just saying there's a wisdom in what he says. And mm -hmm. he, at the end of his speech, he actually says, you know, he comments on what we are reading about, which is the story of Aldarian Arendis. He then turns to Arendis and realizes basically in, in no uncertain terms, that that's a failed relationship, but yeah. he has, he has, um, basically he puts Arendis in one of those two extremist camps that he talked about. Um, but probably not for the reason that the extremist uh, turns to Irwin and says, at least I spilt no blood, but she would have fallen in the, into the pacifist camp. And he, and he criticizes her in to himself. Um, he said, I know, he says, I know her choice, even were she to listen long enough to understand. So little, little uh, shade thrown at her that way. Like she's not, she's not even going to listen. She doesn't want to hear it out. She doesn't want to hear anything for her heart has no wings beyond Numenor. And she has no guess of the cost. If her choice should lead to death in her own time, she would die bravely. But what will she do with life and other wills? The valor themselves, e even as I, must wait to discover. Sadly, of course, we don't get to discover much of anything about Rendis. Um, there's a little bit in the fragments, but but um, not much. So so basically, he says, look, she is also not a person. He's saying, essentially, 
like me, she's not a person for this time or this decision either. Um, yeah. And well, and her heart, like, yeah. And like I said, it's that thousand years reason. piece, right? They, they were both Numenor was their whole world. Nobody had yeah. really traveled beyond it other than Aldarion and Aldarion's uncle. And, uh, uh, and so, yeah, no one had it, but you know, the decision to relinquish the throne to Aldarion, you can say like he wasn't prepared for that, but you could also say Aldarion wasn't prepared to defend Numenor because he doesn't, he doesn't, his heart was in Numenor even at that point. And he hadn't, he hadn't gone through what even other kings had gone through in order to prepare them for the throne. I would, not that I have exact evidence for that, but in, in his interactions with his father, right, his father stripped him of his titles. He, 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 he berated him to go do what he needed to with his wife and, and he couldn't make the, the right choices there either. So, what kind of a king will Aldarion? Well, never really truly find out. But um, yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, you know, there's so much black and white. I'm totally joking about the black and white in Tolkien. This is a nice gray area where you're like, you're not sure if it's yeah. the wisest decision. And maybe, you know, it's like a 5149 decision. You know, this, 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 <laughs> I have to fall on just that little bit more. Is that what's important is what's going on over there? Because like, uh Gilgalad said the darkness that is filled that the darkness that has come is filled with hatred for us but it hates you no less which we will eventually learn when we realize how much Sauron actually hates the Numenorians because of what they did to Morgoth and they have been a not just a splinter in his side a spear well that's a really bad analogy a spear in his side uh, <laughs> they've been a an axe in his head for a while well, actually, you know, the spear, Igolos, you know, Gilgalad's going to put a spear yeah. in his side before the end anyway. But um, yeah. anyway, so so there, there's a, um, then follows a very interesting discussion, which looks like it's going to start out the way so many discussions have between Tarmeneldur and his son, where um, Aldarion returns back to the capital and then, you know, appears before um it has his house destroyed, levels mm -hmm. his house, except the one white tree, which is 12, is only 12 feet tall. It was, you know, many years at this point. Uh, how many years? Was... Like 21 years, something like that, that, that before, since he was given. Um, at their since, wedding, right? Has it been that long since yeah, their wedding? It, no. I think, uh, well, 15 18. years. Is it 15? Hmm. Oh, no, you're right. Because his daughter was four when he left, right? Yeah, I think it was 12. They were married there 12 years, I want to say. Is that, I, that's, I'm just going off memory now. I'm looking, not looking up any timelines. Okay, and then... so they were married, given the tree. Two years later, the daughter was born. That's two years. Uh, he leaves when his daughter's four, so that's six years. He returns six years later, or five years later. Maybe it was the sixth year that he returned, so five years later. So... Um, that's 11 years. So it's, yeah, 11 or 12 years, one of the two. Okay. Um, okay. And, and, uh, so, so it's a, tw it's 12 years and it's 12 feet tall. It's only grown a foot a year. <laughs> I mean, it started out as a sapling. So, but um, he sees it differently now too. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, not just as wood. He saw that it was in itself beautiful for the first time. It was straight, yep. slender, youthful, and budded with winter flowers upon upheld just pointing to the sky. It recalled to him his daughter. Right. Interesting. Unbending, slim, slender, pointing at the sky. I will also call you Anne Kalime. May you and she stand so in long life, unbent by wind or will, and unclipped. Interesting. Especially considering the speech that we're going to find from one of the fragments that uh, Erendis gives to her daughter about being unbending. That's so. Right. So it's it's fascinating that they both, in a way, wish the same for their daughter, although very different, as we'll find. So in any case, um, Aldarion goes before the king and has they have uh, what is going to sounds like it's going to be one of their one of their um, 
doesn't end well discussions because it starts with all um tar metal door um criticizing his son for for um, many things uh mm -hmm. not telling him more about what he's been doing out in the world for one um and and the gravity of it and then of course his behavior um towards uh his his wife although um you know Aldarian shoots back that he actually did tell Arendis much more than he told the king about his travels but she just didn't care and um and so it looks like there's going to be and and in fact we're told that Aldarian um what the quote is he had braced himself to face the king's anger which willfully he had endeavored to kindle so so you know Aldarian was trying to provoke the king in this conversation so that he could just leave because that's what he's going to do is he's asking mm -hmm. he's, he's he asks permission to leave and Tarmeldor, before telling him he's going to hand over the scepter, tells him, "Nope, you can't leave." Which fires up, you know, Aldarian's going to basically going into a rage at this point. And and the, but then, uh, uh, you know, the, then the I don't want to call it you you catastrophe because it's a choice from people, but it's but it's the turn and the story comes and the moment when, uh, like Arendis, Aldarian is given a chance to repent of his willful ways. And he chooses to do so um, mm -hmm. because his father gives up the scepter and reads the decree um, that wherein he's going to hand over the throne to his son. And um, after that, we see Aldarian, you know, stood for a moment in a maze. And then he said I, it, the passage that I just read about what he had, what his intention was. Now he stood confounded. Then as one swept from his feet by a sudden wind from a quarter unexpected, he fell to his knees before his father, but after a moment he raised his bowed head and laughed. So he always did when he heard of any deed of great generosity, for it gladdened his heart. Father, he said, ask the king to forget my insolence to him, for he is a great king, and his humility sets him far above my pride. I am conquered. I submit myself wholly. That such a king should resign the scepter while in vigor and wisdom is not to be thought. Yet so it is resolved," said Menelaus. "The council shall be summoned forthwith." So uh, there's this like against in in the tower, the, the heights of his pride, and he's about to basically say "screw you" to his father and leave and and leave the Numenor probably forever, maybe, um, and and bring the wrath of the king upon him. He's leveled and he mm -hmm. falls to his knees, like leveled physically too like he falls to his knees and he levels his pride and he laughs at himself and he laughs in the, in the joy of the generosity of his father and um and uh and and he he is he says i submit myself wholly i am conquered and so so we have here aldarian admitting his his pride admitting that he was in the wrong saint admitting that he needs to be he needs to be conquered um by his father and his generosity and um and it really is, like you said, Jonathan, an act of redemption in, from a narrative perspective. Yeah, and like you said, it hadn't occurred to me that it is, to Aldarion, it is a catastrophic moment. He, it is an unexpected turn to him, and that unexpected turn turns him. It, right. it changes him, and I think it's, it's, it's not punishment, it's not time, it's unexpected goodwill that changes his heart, which um, I would say that even with his, in, in what we learned of his relationship with uh, Erendis, that never occurred. 
nobody sacrificed for each other in their relationship. And here we see that uh, Tarmenaldor is sacrificing for the good of Numenor, which, which, um, which Aldarion called a misenchanted Isle of Daydreams, where women in their insolence would have men cringe. Which <laughs> really harsh, interesting, harsh, and like he's like, okay, this is now the land I have to defend. But you know, a, a lot of that is said in his in his heated anger, uh, right. and not necessarily as as what he would leave, because that's the way that he's been. You know, he's got to deal with uh, salty pirates all day long on his boat. So uh, I'm sure he. he <laughs> he brooks no uh, <laughs> ill will. Well, so now, and now we get to the last page. And what's interesting about this is what is Arendis's reaction? So Arendis has sent a message saying, basically, come and bring Ankali mm-hmm. uh, May with you. Come to the capital. It's time. You know, there's going to be a change in, in in kingship, and and um, you know, you need to be here. And her response back, and she she has a very different reaction from Aldarian. Her reaction is to dig herself in deeper. You know, in a way it reminds me of the Gollum reaction versus the Sam reaction to the ring. So that's it's it's the great temptation and finally in the end Sam passes and Gollum does not. And and um you know in each of their trials and and so um she says, you know, basically she just reads it all as an attack on her. He is swift to strike, she thought. So I should have foreseen. He will strip me of all, but myself he shall not command though it be by the mouth of his father. And then she asks leave. She says, I'll send on Kalime, but leave me alone and uh, so I can stay here basically forever, um, which is a very powerful, it's very interesting if you think about it because Kalime is her only daughter. It's her only thing in the world. You would think that like, you know, even if she was in the throes of like, you know, the focus on the hatred, she has great hatred of men, we're told explicitly. She hates, of course, she's going to hate her husband. And now, you know, what's her but she's she would rather have her daughter be taken from her and not go with her daughter and stay by herself alone than than be commanded by someone else by specifically Aldarian apparently so so um but let's remember like she said that she would be there for her daughter as long as her daughter loved her uh, and so it wasn't her love for her daughter. Love. It was it was totally conditional. Like, and she yep. she she grew in this soil of distrust for so long that the very first thing that she says to that, that she says uh, when she reads the proclamation or hears of the proclamation when news came to her, um, she she read a rebuke by the king. Not just like this. This was against her. Like yeah. everything is against her. The the sea was against her. Aldarion was against her. Her daughter's probably now again. Like she is she is the victim in all of this too. And I, not right. that Tolkien was writing from that, but it's it's a very real moment for so many who are in that position. Like everything is everyone's out to get you, and that's the world yeah. that she lives in. The I, I have a close family member that that's the the truth with. I've wa- I watched yeah. over over the years it happened to him where everything became about him and everything mm-hmm. that happened was through the lens of am i right or am i wronged or not and usually it's yes i was wronged in some way and so this is this is very familiar this is a real theme that can happen to the warping of the human heart um where it becomes so really narcissistic that it that it that it everything is viewed as a slight against you and and she's even willing to give up her daughter and not see yeah. her except whatever very occasionally when you know in order so that she just no, just so that she not be you know told what to do by someone she does she hates now 
Like that, that's, that is such a twisting of, of one's responsibility yeah. that it's, it's, it's shocking. Um, and then Aldarian's reaction to it is, is, is I think really interesting. Aldarian, of course, is still angry. His, his relationship is ruined with her. Um, but his father, when the response comes back, says, doubtless you are grieved, but for what else did you hope? And Aldarian responds and says to his father, not for this at least, said Aldarian, is far below my hope of her. She has dwindled. And if I have wrought this, then black is my blame. But do the large shrink in adversity? This was not the way, not even in hate or revenge. She should have demanded that a great house be prepared for her, called for a queen's escort, and come back to Armenelos with her beauty adorned royally, with a star on her brow. Then well nigh all the Isle of Numenor she might have bewitched to her part and made me seem madman and churl. The <laughs> valor be my witness, I would rather have it... <laughs> have had it so rather a beautiful queen to thwart me and flout me than freedom to rule while the lady elistirne falls down dim into her own twilight it's a really powerful statement it is and um what we need to realize is that what she wrote to menildur was uh either was a i feel like it was a false plea for pity Hmm. um she writes that um, I beg that you will consider her years and calling me and see to it that she is lodged and quiet for myself. I pray you excuse me. I learned that my house in our list has been destroyed and I would not at this time willingly be a guest, least of all upon a house ship among mariners here. Then permit me to remain in my solitude unless it be the King's will also to take back this house. And so, and it says it missed the mark in Tarmenaldur's heart. And I think she was seeking for some sort of like, look at how you've wronged me. Look at how you've, how you've, made me into a you've created this bitter person because of all the things that have been done to me and i think that's the mark that missed its heart and that's where um aldarion says i wanted a queen to thwart me i don't want a, a pitiful creature anymore right I, and right. that's what she's become all by herself in her lonesome doting not even doting, dealing with her daughter uh and living a life that is not worthy of a queen at all. Like he was hoping he, she would grab onto the royalty that she really is now. And she's like, nope, I'm just going to sink deeper into this darkness. Right. I, I do really think you chose the right word. She is a pitiable creature. And, yeah. and this is what turning inward on oneself does, you know, and, and again, I draw back to the, the example. And I'm not trying to throw dirt on her by comparing her to Gollum in this case, but there's a, there's a similar aspect, you know, it's pity that stays Bilbo's hand with Gollum. Gollum's a pitiable creature. He's right. completely self-absorbed. Arendis is not that far gone, but she, but compared to the heights that she should have been, as pointed out by Aldarian, yeah. you know, she has fallen greatly, and she just seeks, as you said, to try to the pity angle to get what she wants, and and uh, it misses the mark with Tarmenaldur because, of course, Tarmenaldur is now thinking of the bigger picture and what's more important for the for his for the people as a whole. He's about to hand over the kingship to his son. And so, um, yep, it's a it's a very yeah. sad ending, and that's the that's the end of the continuous um, narrative that we have um, yeah. of this story. And next week we'll talk about the fragments. Uh, I, I'm, for good or ill, it ends essentially on the line of like, uh, if she doesn't want to live among my people, my mariners, then uh, uh, I may be excused the dislike of a dislike of a sheep farm among serving women. So it, the push the the contrast between the two is made there right at the end again that, that like look yep. you won't come to me on the mariner ship and i won't come to you uh in the middle of uh marier right and uh 
and we're, we're going to live our separate lives this way. But he will not have his daughter so schooled. She'll choose by notch, and we'll find out what happens. Right, right. He's, 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 he focuses on, on the daughter at the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. But even so, like the line that you gave, it is a good aptus, you know, contrast between the two. But it also shows that there's a um, just this deep wounding in both of their hearts. And he's not, daughter, he's not letting it go still. He's still not he's letting st- it go. He's still not letting yeah. it go. And, yeah. and although he is shown to be, you know, the better person in that regard with regard to the choices of virtue, because he, he humbles himself um, at the end when given a chance um, completely, um, that, that is still, he still has bitterness in his heart towards his yeah. wife. There's yeah. it's still a tragic story, love story. Yeah, and that's why I think this is this is you know the further course of the narrative, the unfinished part, so to speak, uh, is the mariner, not the mariner's wife, essentially moving forward, right. or maybe the mariner and his daughter. So we'll read that next week, all y'all, um, and then maybe we'll do one more episode after that, uh, kind of spitballing what we think could have happened, where the story might have been taken, if Tolkien had had time to go back to it to go back to those seeds that he scattered and watch them grow and prune them and shear them and replant them and do all the sorts of things that he did when he wrote over the 60 years, nearly 60 years of uh, diving into Middle Earth. Yeah, and so we'll tune in next next week too as well for a uh, Galadriel reference, one of the few. Oh, mm, yes. Uh, Galadriel, the, the, the leader of the Northern Armies, as we find oh, out, shut right? shut up. Shut up. <laughs> I have to. Sorry. Uh, oh, Rings of Power. It's been a year and a half, right? And we probably won't get another Rings of Power show for another year. I'm get, there has been no news on that thing. It's like dead as a doornail right now. I don't know what they're doing. I, I, th- I think they have to commit to five years or else they get some sort of penalty and have to give back a ton of money or, or like pay even more. I don't know. I think there's a penalty for not doing all five seasons. Uh, although the penalty is on us for actually doing five more <laughs> yeah, seasons. I mean, we're the I ones feel that like we're, we received a penalty from having it in the first place. But, uh, but uh, you know, um, and the showrunners have been demoted and there's all kinds yeah. of drama. Anyway, we'll, we'll find out more. More to come, more to come. All right, guys, we're going to jump into our extended portion. We're going to ask and answer some of the questions there. Uh, I hope you join us there. Become a member at thewondering.com slash member and uh, check it out for a Goodbye. month. It's free. Bye-bye, freeloaders. See you all later.